and in your will, discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first scripture this morning is from the Psalms, Psalm 95, the whole thing. Come, let us sing joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they had not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. <coughs> this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second scripture reading is from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Often when we read this text, the focus is primarily on Paul and Silas, and there's nothing wrong with that. They are meant to be the main characters of this narrative. 
and their reaction to their imprisonment is fascinating. Instead of being afraid or angry, they sit back and they start to pray and to sing hymns. And it's always good when reading a part of scripture that we're familiar with, or one that has been told and retold more than others, to try to look at it from a fresh angle. A good way to do that is to ask, where is the fear? We gain so much insight into any narrative, especially one about God, when we look for where the fear is and what happens as a result of where it is and where it isn't. Where there are humans, there will be fear. So where is it in this passage from Acts? Paul and Silas are clearly not afraid. They're just chilling in their cell, singing and praying. It's interesting that our excitable preacher Paul isn't preaching to the other prisoners in this passage as he often likes to do. He and Silas are just there on their own little planet, singing and praying. The fear happens after they are freed. The guard, the one who in many stories is the one who would be causing the fear, is the one who is afraid. The script has been flipped. And of course he's afraid. The punishment for losing his prisoners would have been death. And the death penalty was even more gruesome then than it is now. So he was not looking at a pleasant ending if these prisoners escaped. So troubling was his future that the guard was about to kill himself in order to spare himself a great deal of pain. But then Paul says, it's okay, man. We're not going anywhere. We're all still right here. The best English translation I've seen of the guard's response is, but what am I going to do to get out of this mess? He's almost certainly not asking them about his eternal salvation right now. He's got one salvation on his mind, and that is saving himself from this terrible situation he finds himself in. He's just trying to figure out how to save his physical person at the present moment. But Paul's answer is eternal. He says, Jesus. Jesus is the only answer to this mess. And the jailer seems to understand, in spite of this disconnect, what's happening. He has a totally unexpected response. He takes the prisoners home with them, and he gets them cleaned up. And then he's baptized, along with his entire family. I love what Tom Wright says about this. The nighttime feast in the jailer's house that sets the pattern for the bizarre celebration of God's kingdom from that day to this. The world is turning the right way up, at least. And what better way of showing it than a Roman jailer throwing a midnight party for two battered but rejoicing heralds of King Jesus? Two groups of people, previously separated by fear and law and religion, come together in the middle of the night and they all worship and celebrate together. This is the sort of ridiculous and powerful miracle that caused the early church to explode. It was almost exactly nine years ago that we were told our son was going to die. He hadn't even been born yet and the doctor said he was going to die. During our routine ultrasound, he was diagnosed with a rare fetal syndrome, 
that affected his hands and his umbilical cord, and it had a high chance of causing other damage as well. Part of the amniotic sac had shredded and gotten tangled around him. He was literally all tied up and stuck to the inside of the very thing that was supposed to be protecting him. We were devastated because we firmly believed that God had already named this little boy. Until we found out we were pregnant again, I'd always thought it was hyperbole or literary device when the Bible said that God told a parent, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him fill in the blank. But you guys, God still does that sometimes. It's weird, and I know I sound like a crazy person when I say that, but I was there and that's what happened. And so we had just been told that this little child we knew God had named wasn't even going to have a shot at life. We did what any parents would do. We went home and we cried for a very long time and tried to figure out how to tell the other kids about it. We had three other kids in the house right then, ages two, eight, and 18, which meant we had to figure out three very different ways to talk about this to three very different children. And then for some reason, we just felt like we had to sing. We were sitting there on our bed with the ironically bright sun streaming in our window. It was a beautiful day, and we started to sing. I don't remember which one of us started it, but I do remember which song it was. It was the one that we're about to sing at the end of the sermon today. The words, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name, were both painful and soothing that afternoon. And then we decided we weren't going to take no for an answer. God gave us strength in that moment of worship. That day, we chose to follow the example of Paul and Silas singing and praying in the corner of a prison cell. We started a website to keep friends and family informed about what was going on, and we asked people to start praying for our family. We asked that they would pray for strength for Tim and I, for understanding for our other kids, and we asked for them to pray for our baby by name. And then we went for a second opinion. Always get a second opinion, guys. You see, in our desire to understand more about this little-known fetal syndrome, we did some research, and we found out that if we found the right doctors, who were few and far between, it might not be a death sentence for our baby. It had already caused damage to some fingers on one hand that couldn't be reversed, but if something was done in time, they could remove the bands that had gotten wrapped around his other hand and that were threatening to amputate that hand, and they could remove the bands that were digging into the umbilical cord that were threatening to cut off his life source and end his little life before it even got started. So just days later, after getting that second opinion and being referred to those right doctors, we were in Cincinnati at the Children's Hospital Fetal Care Center having experimental in-utero surgery to untie a baby whose name meant attached. I told you God named him. By this time, there were people all around the world following the website we started and praying for him. Christians, Jews, agnostics, Buddhists, you name it, all sorts of people. Some of them we knew, but many of them we did not. They all joined in our songs and our prayers in our prison cell, many of them listening, many of them singing with us. 
after the surgery, the doctor told us that he had removed the bands from our little guy's wrist to save that hand, and he'd cleaned up some free-floating bands that could cause future damage, and then he said something that blew everyone away. I couldn't find anything touching the umbilical cord. We saw those bands wrapped around it, causing swelling just yesterday in the ultrasounds and in the MRI, but we went in to remove them and they were gone. I've never seen anything like it, and the only explanation I can give you is that all the prayers worked. While he was born three months earlier than initially expected, Levi was born strong and healthy. Little, but strong and healthy. And you wouldn't know now to look at him that he was only two and a half pounds at birth. And I will tell you that I always ask my family and friends before I talk about them in a sermon. I never sneak up on anyone with anything like this. And Levi did tell me he was fine with me sharing all of this today, but that I please ask people not to ask him questions about it, but to direct your questions or your comments about it directly to me or to Tim. A while after Levi was born, maybe a year or so, I was at Bible study, and a dear sister of mine, Sister Betty, told me about a conversation she had with a friend not long after he'd been born. She shared the website with her friend, and that's how many people got to know about this story, word of mouth, and her friend had been praying and following the events unfolding. You see, it turns out that this woman had been feeling pretty alone and abandoned by God. She was praying because Betty had asked her to, and if you knew my dear sweet friend Miss Betty, when Miss Betty asks you to pray, you do what she tells you to do. <laughs> and so this woman was praying in that prison cell, but was not sure that her prayers would make any difference. She was like the prisoners in the next cell, listening to Paul and Silas sing and pray, but not quite sure what they were doing or why. But then the prison doors shook open, and she realized that God had heard the prayers and the songs, even, or perhaps especially, in that dark place. Betty said her friend hadn't been to church in years before Levi was born, but she was going again every week and was in baptism and membership classes. That was not the only story we heard of God grabbing a hold of someone because of this miraculous baby and because of our decision to share the story and to share our songs and our prayers in that difficult time. It was the most dramatic story we heard come out of that. But there were many opportunities opened up for us to share our story with others and to minister to other families in similar situations. We've been able to participate in some way in the same sort of weird party that Paul and Silas had with the prison guard, the kind of celebration that can only happen in the kingdom of God and nowhere else. Friends, there are certain universal questions that all or most people have at some time or another, regardless of cultural or social context. And one of these, like the guard, is how do we get out of this mess? What's the mess? doesn't matter. Whatever the mess is, the answer is Jesus. If we try to answer it with anything else, we're just going to fall deeper and into more mess. And the best way to build a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ and to witness to him as the answer is to choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. When we don't have the words to process what's happening, 
We can rely on the words of those who have come before us in song and in liturgy and worship. And God hears us. God hears the cries of God's people who are in distress. And the witness that genuine worship creates is far more powerful than any answer we can craft with our own clever words and little brains. Anyone can sing a happy song when things are good. Anyone can say, God is good, I'm feeling blessed, when the world seems to be on their side. Where's the witness in that? Not that we shouldn't worship in the good times, but these songs that we sing at night, at midnight when we're in the prison, these are the powerful songs. Because what a witness it is to be able to say, God is good even when the universe is not. God is worth praising even when this broken world is falling down around us. Uh, Tim and I are going to share this song now, and if you know it, you are welcome to join us in singing this song. It's been around for, well, I guess at least nine years now, <laughs> probably, probably longer than that. Um, and so you may have heard it on the radio or in a church service, and if you don't know it, that's okay. Just close your eyes and sit back and soak in the words. And picture Paul and Silas singing praises and praying in their prison cell. That was not a friendly place to be. Think about the prison cells in your own life, the ones you've been in and been released from or the ones that you're currently in. Think about when you've relied on God in those times. Think about when you haven't relied on God in those times and ask what it was that scared you or shook you away from God then so that you might have the strength to rely on him next time. And like Paul and like Silas, and take this time to make a renewed commitment to praise God no matter what is falling down around you.